Good morning. I hope to see you all at the pie eating competition, uh, which reminds me, Jason, you have still pie in your beard. Uh, it's been there like two weeks, man. Let's, let's get that taken care of. Uh, that looks like fun. We'll stick around, see what that's like. Um, I, I think everything should have a purpose, right? Like everything that, that we, like objects that we see in daily life, if somebody's gonna make it and you're gonna buy it, it should have a purpose, right? I think this is what bothers us about the appendix. And you're like, what's the purpose of this thing that can blow up and kill me at any moment and we don't even know what it does? God, what are you doing? There should be a purpose for this, right? Uh, things that have a purpose make sense to us and when it doesn't have a purpose, it just, like something just feels off and wrong about that. So I looked up some things. I like to learn purposes of objects that I didn't know what they're, you know, why they were created. And I found some really, really fun stuff I want to share with you. The first is uh, elevator, elev these buttons you push to go up and down. Uh, you guys know what the purpose of the button is, right? But did you know that if you hold your, uh, your floor button down and the door close button down at the same time, it, the elevator will ignore all the other buttons that have been pushed and go straight to your floor? Did you know that, if you're in like a tall building? So that's really rude, don't do that, unless there's like an emergency, but uh, that's what it's there for, so you can do that. Um, did you know that uh, pin caps have a hole in, in the end of them, do you know why? Uh, it's because uh, humans are dumb, and we, we chew on these things, we put these things in our mouths, and so uh, people would like kind of suck this down their throat, and then they couldn't breathe, uh, so <laughs> the pin companies decided to put holes in the ends so you wouldn't choke and die on a pin cap. <laughs> Aren't we just the most intelligent species, right? Um, do you know why notebook paper has margins on the sides? And uh, some of you are like, well, that's, that's so you can write. No, no. The, originally, margins were put on notebook paper because wherever you keep your notebook paper, the rats would come and chew on the edges. And so if you stay inside the margins, then the rats can't get to the masterpiece sonnet that you wrote, and uh, they just chew, and they just, so it's for the rats to chew in the margins. So there you go. Um, and on a, a padlock, most padlocks have a little hole in the bottom that I never knew it was there for. It's so that if the lock freezes up, you can put oil in there and uh, it'll loosen it up so you can open the lock. So uh, try that with any lock that belongs to you. Uh, you're welcome to, to give that a shot. If it doesn't belong to you, uh, don't, don't mess with it, right? Um, I, I love to learn the, the purposes of new little objects and you know discovering how to use things better. And I, I wonder sometimes though, if, um, if we really know our own purpose. Is this something that you've, you've dealt with? Like maybe you can remember at a time, maybe when you were, after you graduated high school, you were in college or during those years where you thought about your purpose or maybe it sort of circled back around when you turned 45 or when you turned 60 and you're like, what is, why am I here, right? Um, I think we, we think about this on a, on a bigger level too, a broader level for like, why, why are human beings here? I mean, if you're, a, if you're a Jesus follower, you believe that God created us, right? God created the heavens and the earth and everything that's, that's here and, and on the planet, including human beings. Have you ever wondered why? Why, why did God make human beings? What was the, what was the purpose for that? I, I believe the answer to this is, is clear in scripture. We can dig in and we can, we can find out why human beings are on the planet and more specifically, why we're here as, as individuals. Why, why are you here and what, what is your purpose? And it's all tied in together. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks, we're going to go to with university, with you, and we're going to study uh, th this concept that we believe that we're created to be with God. And we're going to look at this declaration and invitation from God. The declaration is, I will be with you. And the invitation is, will you be with me? 
So God looks at, at all of humanity and he looks at you in your life right now in your, in, in your good times and in your bad times and he's, he's, he's making this statement, I will be with you. And the invitation is, will you be with me? This is why we were created. And, and so uh, I don't want you to just take my word for it. We're gonna prove it through scripture. We're gonna start at the beginning uh, today, Genesis chapter one. If you've got a Bible and you wanna read along, um, you can open up to that. You can follow along on the screen. And in the beginning, what happened? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? All right, wake up. Let's like, some of you knew that and were holding out on me. Um, makes me feel awkward. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we kind of read over the next few verses, like all the things that God created, like the land and the, and the seas and the trees and the bees and all the stuff, you know, out there, the stars and planets and galaxies. And then all the stuff like smaller, like atoms and molecules and quarks. That's the thing, right? Quarks. Uh, God made all of that. He made everything. And then we come to verse 26 and we see, and he says it's all good. He looks at all this stuff that he's made. And he's like, molecules are good, man. Bananas, bananas are good. Squirrels are good. Puppies are good. And then, and then he's going to get to verse 26. And here's what he says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So all, all the creeps. Uh, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God made, made all the creeps. Then he makes man and he says, you gotta be in charge of all the creeps, right? This is your, this is your job. Uh, we're, you're gonna take care of all this. Why did, why did God do this? So we need to ask a couple questions. First of all, did God create humans because he was lonely? That, did, did God need someone to interact with? Did, did he like, he's like, well, I mean, the universe is great and all, but I'm kind of all by myself. And so let's make some people so I can have somebody to hang out with and talk to. Did God need to create humans to have somebody to, to be with? Uh, no. He did not need to create us so he would have somebody to hang out with. God is a relational God. It's in his very nature to relate. We know that God is love and love doesn't really make sense unless you've got something or someone to love. But all of that was already self-contained in God himself. We see this concept we call the Trinity throughout scripture, this innate withness of God, that God in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit already has relationship with himself. He already has love within himself. God didn't need to create us. And, and uh, this, this is clear. Like if you go to John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, John says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he was with God in the beginning and through him, God made all things. So John would say, hey, you remember Genesis 1.1 1, 1, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? How did he do that? He spoke everything into existence. So it was the word of God that God spoke everything into existence with is actually Jesus, the son. The, the, the son part of the Trinity is the word that was present from the very beginning. And then Genesis 1, 2 says, and the spirit of God was there hovering over the surface of the water. And so we've got We've got God the Father speaking things into existence. We've got the Son is the word through which God spoke, and we've got the Spirit present there. So the Trinity is all right there in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, verses 1 and 2. And this is the witness of God. It's, it's innate. It's part of his nature. So God didn't need to create us in order to have somebody uh, for him to hang out with, right? But he created us anyway. 
He created us because he wanted us to be with him. God is so awesome, and none of us get to say this. None of us get to say this, but God is so awesome that he's like, you know what the best thing for you is? To hang out with me. Like, like wouldn't it be cool if you could say that? Hey, guys, I'm gonna do you all a big favor. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you hang out with me. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you be my friend. And that's really the best thing. That's the best gift I can give you is just myself, right? But it's actually true of God. The best gift he could give is himself. So he created us so that he could give himself, his presence to human beings. And then he gives them a job. He gives these human beings a job. So God created everything and, and all the, you know, plants and bees and trees and, and squirrels and puppies. And then he tells the humans, you're going to have dominion over all of this. I need you. I need you to take care of all of this. Now, why, why did he have to do that? Did God need human beings? Uh, because he was like, oh no, I've made too much stuff. I, I, need, I need some people to, to kind of take care of all the stuff that I made. Is that, is that what's going on here? I mean, that would be like if you, you know, if, if, if you you know, you grow up, you get married, and you, you move into a house, and, and you've got this house, and you're like, man, who's going to mow this grass, and who's going to do the dishes? Let's have some kids, so, so we can have somebody to mow the grass and do the, do the dishes. Is that, is that what's going on here? Uh, no, uh, you, you wouldn't do that. Uh, that's not why you had kids, although it is a convenient benefit of having teenage boys. I do almost nothing anymore. It's great, and it's for a limited time only, I'm aware. So why did God give humans dominion over all the creeps, the stuff, the things that he made? Why did he do this? Um, because God is engaging in a partnership with human beings. God is saying, okay, here's, here's my part. I'm gonna create and sustain all things. And so we get this through, through scripture, that God is the creator and sustainer of all things. The reason why the, the world keeps spinning and the galaxies keep turning and the molecules and the, and the atoms and the quarks keep doing their thing is because God is sustaining all the things that he created. But then he invites human beings into this. He says, hey, let's, why don't we work together? Why don't you take care of the things that I've created? And you tend it and you make it flourish and you make it thrive. You make it beautiful. And he gave us this responsibility of making beautiful the thing that he has made. This is why your parents wanted you to clean your room, right? This is why, in case you're wondering, take notes, my friends. It's not just because they're mean. It's not just because they, they, you know, they think you're a slob. It's because your parents have paid for you to have this room. It's not your room, by the way. It's not your room. It's your parents' room that they are letting you stay in. And they've said, hey, we, we want you to have responsibility for this. And to have responsibility means you get to exercise authority over organizing this and, and you can paint the walls and you can make it your own, but we want it to be a place of flourishing and thriving. This is what God does for, for the humans. He says, hey, come into this, come into this stuff that I made and, and I want you to have responsibility. I want you to take some ownership and make it, make it flourish and make it thrive. And so God puts human beings in this beautiful place in this garden. And he's like, knock yourselves out. You guys, I mean, you name, all the animals are out there. God could have named the animals, right? I mean, he probably could have come up with better stuff than like platypus or, you know, rhinoceros and like, but, but he let Adam do all of that. He gave him some ownership, right? He invites them into this cooperation, but this cooperation is contingent upon God being in charge. God's like, this is my, my house, my rules, and like, I want you here. I want you to do this. I want, I want to do this together, but my house, my rules, I'm the one who knows what's best. You're going to have to trust me on that. 
We'll circle back to that in a moment. But so God is, you know, he creates humans so, so humans get to enjoy this, the presence of the awesomeness of God. He's like, here's my gift to you and it's me. It's like, uh, you get to be with me. That's, that's my gift to you. Uh, but then he also recognizes, you know, he, he, he created all the stuff and he said it's good, but when he creates humans, he looks at humans and he goes, no, that's, that's very good. Like, this is, my, this is my best work, guys. I really, I really outdid myself. Uh, with these, these people. And we look around and we go, really, God, this is the best you could do? No, but he did. He outdid himself in, in creating human beings. And he says, very good. But then he looks at Adam in Genesis 2.18 and he says, this is, this is not good because Adam is alone. Adam's alone. So the idea is he made, made Adam first and, and he's kind of hanging out in the garden by himself. And God's looking at this human being who was created for relationship. He's created for withness. And, and Adam doesn't have anybody like him to be with. And God said, this is, not, this is not done. I'm not done yet. And so he creates woman. And Adam's like, yes, this is what I'm talking about. Look at uh, verse uh, 24. This is how Adam kind of describes this. Uh, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. He's like, I have somebody now to be with. And Adam and Eve are with each other. And the next verse says they were naked and unashamed in each other's presence. You're like, sounds great. Garden, fruit, trees, no clothes. Sign me up, right? Paradise. And everything is going just fantastic, right? Because God created human beings for this withness with him and this withness with each other. Right? And this, this theme doesn't go away. And in, in, in the Gospels, when somebody asked Jesus, hey, what's the most important commandment? There's like 613 commandments in the, in the Old Testament. What, can you narrow it down for us? Can you just give us like one? And Jesus is like, yeah, sure, I'll give you one. But it's like two, but it's one. And it starts like this. Number one, love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus says this relationship with God is your primary concern in life. Love God with everything that you have. You were created to be with God, so love him like he deserves to be loved. But then he said, here's number two, the second part of the most important commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so God said, not only, not, not only are you created to be with God and to love him, but you're created to be with people and to love them. And so these two things work together. We're created for this withness. And so God, God puts Adam and Eve together and everything is just going great. I mean, they're in paradise. They've got, they've got everything they could possibly need. They've got a good work to do. They have some ownership and responsibility over creation. And it's just going great. But God, in, in order to uh, offer the people this choice to love and trust him, uh, made one of the trees of the garden off limits. He said, here's, here's this tree right here in the middle. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. Just, it's not good for you, okay? And you're just gonna have to trust me on this. It's not good for you. In fact, if you eat from it, it will kill you, right? And you're like, well, why, why is it gonna, is it like poisonous? Is, is it like if they, if they eat this, this poison, poison fruit is gonna get in them and, and, and kill them? Because you think about like, okay, if, if, if I'm a good parent and I plant a, a poison berries in, in the yard and, and tell my kids to go out and just, just start eating stuff in the yard, but, I, but try to stay away from the poison berries, like that doesn't seem smart. Like should, I should at least like build a, a wall around the, the poison berries, right? So the kids can't get to them. But God doesn't do that because it's not about safety. The point is not, I'm trying to keep you safe. The point is, I want you to trust me. So he, he puts the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and says, don't eat from that tree. He said, I am the one who gets to decide what's good and evil. 
And I want you to trust me to know what's best for you and to be the one who decides what's good and evil. And so you don't need to eat from that tree. And, and things go really great for a while. And we don't know how long. I'd love to know how long did they make it? Did they make it like three days? Did they make it like, did they make it like 100 years? Like how, how long did they make it before Eve winds up standing in front of that tree going, hmm, you know, I'm curious about this thing. We're not supposed to eat from it. And it's not like we're starving here. There's food all around. But when you tell somebody not to do something, that's the thing that they start to want to do, right? And so she's standing there, the serpent begins to tempt her, and he goes through this whole like speech where he, he really distorts the promises of God and, and the command of God, and, and she starts to, she's like, well, maybe, and he's like, I think God is holding out on you. I think this thing that God has told you is bad is actually good, and eventually she sells out. She buys in, and she's the fruit. It took, it took some time. I mean, there's several verses there for how long it took Eve to sell out but then she turns to Adam in like half a sentence. She's like, you want some of this? He's like, sure. You know, so it's like, come on, buddy. You didn't really represent the dudes very well there, but. So they both sell out and they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in effect, what they're doing is they're rejecting God's authority over their life. They're saying, I know you said you know what's best. I know you said you're the one who gets to decide right from wrong, but we actually want this power for ourselves. We want to be the ones who decide what's good and bad for us. And in doing so, they rejected not just the authority of God, but they rejected the witness of God, the presence of God. Look at uh, Genesis 3, 8. This is after they ate the fruit that we weren't supposed to eat. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Never did that before. I don't know how often the Lord God walked in the garden in a way that Adam and Eve could interact with him, but that sounds pretty cool, right? And, and, and they've, they've been enjoying this presence of God, but now that they've rejected his authority, they're afraid of him. They're ashamed to be in his presence. And so when he comes to meet with them, they hide. And from our perspective, we're like, how could you be so stupid? Like, how could you give up what, all of this that you had? How could you, how could you reject all of that? And yet we do the very same thing. We choose to be in control of what's right and wrong for ourselves. We reject not just the authority of God, but we reject his presence as well. We have to understand those two things go together. So what did they lose? Sometimes, have you heard the phrase, you don't know what you've got till it's gone, right? You've heard that. I think that's pretty true. Uh, if you can imagine, if I were to ask you like, hey, can you list all the benefits of owning a driver's license? If you have a driver's license, you could list like, oh, it's kind of, I mean, it's nice. I don't really think about it much. I just get in the car and go and I can go where I want. But what if, what if someone took your driver's license and you couldn't drive anymore? And then I said, list all the things that you've lost by not having a driver's license. You could, it would be a longer list. You'd be like, oh man, this is, this is impacting my life on a number of levels. Like I can't, I can't just get in the car and go where I wanna go and do the things I wanna do. And I think when Adam and Eve rejected the authority of God and thus lost his presence, they, they had to face all of the benefits that they had before that were no longer present. 
They had this good work to do. They had this partnership with their creator where he's saying, hey, come and, come and work with me. I'm gonna give you responsibility over this creation that I've made. And they had this good work that brought them joy and peace. And they had everything they needed was right at their fingertips. It was abundance. All they had to do was go and get it. But then part of the curse that comes along from the fall is God says the ground is gonna be cursed. Now, Adam, you're gonna have to work hard and there's gonna be thorns and thistles. And they, they gave up all of that for the sake of being the ones to decide for themselves what's right and wrong. And friends, that's, that's exactly what, what we as humans do. We are descendants of Adam and Eve, not just physically, but spiritually. And as spiritual descendants of Adam and Eve, we have this in us as well that we want to decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. We don't want to be the ones who say, this is good and this is bad. And we take this authority away from God, and in doing so, we also reject his presence. And life without God is the result of the fall. Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. They can no longer be in his presence. They can no longer eat from the tree of life. This is their cost. And life without God for us still today means we're left to figure out our purpose on our own. And isn't that a tough task? If we reject God's purpose for us, we've got to figure out why we're here all by ourselves. And that, that's, a, that's a daunting road and fruitless in the end. Life without God leaves us to define right and wrong for our own. Okay, so you want the power to decide what's right and wrong for yourself? Knock yourself out. Let me know how that goes. Because as soon as you decide what's right and wrong for you, the person next to you has a little bit of a different idea about what's right and wrong for them. And it won't take long since you're sitting next to each other or you're living in the same house together or you're, you're working at the same place together when what I think is right and wrong for me and what you think is right and wrong for you are gonna come into conflict. Isn't that where most of our relational brokenness comes from? I have decided what's right and wrong for me, and it doesn't fit with what's right and wrong for you, so we can't be in relationship with each other. It sounds good, but in practice, we stink at it, which is why God said, don't eat from that tree. Let me do this. I'm the one who knows what's best. You've got to trust me. But what we've done as human beings and descendants of Adam and Eve is we've taken this authority on ourselves. So now we're on our own to find purpose. We're on our own to find out what's right and wrong. And that's, that's, that's where we're at. Is God, is God okay with this? Does God look at this situation and, and just go, oh, well, I tried. They rejected me. Or, or does, does he want restoration? Does he want to fix it? So we start at the beginning, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Let's, let's skip to the end. Do you ever do this? Do you ever read like the first few pages of a novel and you're like, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I really wanna know how it ends. So you skip to the last chapter. Uh, don't do that. That is a disgrace to literature, by the way. Uh, but let's, we're gonna do that because some, most of you have read some of the middle stuff. So we're gonna skip to the end. Let's look at Revelation chapter 21. This is all the way at the end, okay? The beginning, God made humans. It was great. They rejected him, his presence and his authority. And then we've got... Hundreds, thousands of years, and then John has a vision of what's coming at the end. So we know how human history started. John has this vision of how human history is gonna end. And here's, here's what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, 
adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So yes, we, we broke it. We, we rejected God's authority and his presence, but God has this, has this destination in mind where he's gonna restore his withness to his creation, his humanity that he made. And so question, the, the right question to ask is how? How do we get there? How do we get from rejecting God's authority and rejecting his presence to, to we get to be with him again? How do we get there? And that's what the rest of the Bible is really all about. But today, we're just gonna sit in this for a moment, that we as human beings, as descendants of Adam and Eve, we tend to reject God's authority for our lives, and we need to be aware that when we do that, we're also rejecting his presence, we are living, we are choosing life without God. And life without God, there is just, there's just a wrongness to it. There's this sense in which we're always gonna be scrambling and scraping and grasping for purpose and grasping for meaning and grasping for peace and grasping for joy and grasping for a, uh, some kind of sense of morality and what's good and bad. And we're never gonna get there. And friends, that's, that's where we are when we reject God's authority and his presence. And maybe that's been part of your story. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's why you're here today is because you, you lived that without God life. And you decide, this is, not, this is not good. This is not good. And you have chosen to have life with God. But maybe it's the story of, of somebody that you know and love who is currently experiencing life without God. And you can see the wrongness of it. You can see the desperation to try to make meaning out of things that, that, that we, we can't just pour meaning into. You see the desperation to try to really find some kind of way to decide what's good and bad and right and wrong. And that's kind of where we are, people. And I know that, that there's more to the story and we're gonna get to that next week, okay? I know this is kind of a downer way to end. Like, hey, you rejected God and his presence, so you're out of the garden. You're, you're, you're kind of just, you're without but that's where we're gonna leave it today. And, and if, you, if you want a, the positive, you can, read, you can read on your own or, or come back next week and we're gonna see what steps God takes to get us to this place in Revelation where uh, at the end, uh, the dwelling place of God will be with men again. But for now, I, just, I think it's helpful just to sit in this sometimes and go, man, sin, sin is bad. Sin is not just bad because it's against the rules. Sin is bad because it puts us into life without God. It's just not what we're made for. So with that in mind, have a great week. I'm just, I'm just like, I, I kind of hate leaving it like this, but this is part of the plan. So this is why you gotta come next week. This is a series, this is not just one sermon, it's a series. You gotta come next week and see uh, how God is gonna start to make this right. But today, uh, I just want us to acknowledge uh, when we reject God's authority, we are also rejecting his presence in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for creating us with a purpose. Thank you for inviting us into this cooperation with you. Um, but God, we know, every single one of us in this room knows that we have at some point rejected your authority over our lives. Maybe even today, we've done that. 
we've decided for ourselves that we want to be in control, that we want to decide what's good and bad for us. And in doing so, um, we've rejected your presence as well. And God, I pray that you would impress upon us just the wrongness of that, that this is not what we're made for. And would you stir something up in us that longs for something more, that longs to know our true purpose, that longs to experience life with you and under your authority. Would you do that in us and through us this morning? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you go ahead and stand? We're gonna close with a song. And as we sing, I just wanna invite you sort of to, to just wrestle with this tension of, of what, 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 who we are as human beings and, and sort of the, the high and grand purposes for which we're made and, and the low and, and awful places we often find ourselves as individuals and as humanity as a whole and kind of go, where's the church supposed to fit in this? You know, we say every week that we want you to go out and be salt and light into a world that desperately needs the hope of Jesus. What does that even mean? Salt preserves and light expels darkness. And we live in a world that is dark and decaying. And salt and light is our way of pushing back the darkness and preserving what is good. So today as we sing, and we're going to be dismissed with that, with that thought in mind in just a moment, I just, just want us to kind of wrestle with this is what we're made for. This is who we are. How do we reconcile those two?